Hola familia, I'm Alex Waithe, producer of the Ship Out Loud podcast, where we amplify the voices of Hispanics in STEM. As you probably know by now, I'm usually behind the scenes, but occasionally step in and host wind duty calls. Well, today I have been called and I couldn't be happier to share with you the seventh episode of our 50 Stories for 50 Years series. At our most recent convention, I had the privilege of interviewing SHIP member and entrepreneur extraordinaire, Miguel Ramos. Miguel is currently the COO and co-founder of Limble. He built this company from the ground up and now employs over 200 people, recently receiving an evaluation by Goldman Sachs over $450 million. While anyone would consider Miguel a huge success, he has had his share of failures and struggles along the way. But these trials and tribulations led to many valuable lessons, and he candidly shares them with us in this interview. Miguel was thrust into ship leadership pretty much the moment he learned about the organization. He spent time as a chapter VP before quickly becoming the president, creating meetings and events that were both efficient and useful for his members. It was performing these roles that gave him the soft skills and confidence to pursue the career that he has today. Miguel's interview was just chock full of advice, inspiration, and wisdom. You're certain to walk away with more than a few gems of his. So particularly if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, get out that paper, sharpen your pencil, you're gonna wanna take notes for the next half hour. Please join me in listening to Miguel Ramos speak out loud. All right, well, I'm here with uh, Miguel. Thank you so much for joining me today, Miguel. Why don't you introduce yourself for us real quick to your ship member audience? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Miguel, Miguel Ramos. I started out with SHEP back when I was in college and I loved it. Uh, it was really fun to make an organization that really helped all the other students. And then since then I've gone on to create a company and that's been my most, that's been the most work out of anything I've ever done, yeah. but also the most rewarding. So yeah, I guess that's kind of a bit about me. I started out as an engineer and decided I wanted to do something crazy like start my own company, so. I understand that crazy feeling as well. So that's a little bit about you. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and at what point in your upbringing, childhood, whenever it happened, did you realize, I think STEM is the direction I need to go? That's a really good question because when, when I was in elementary school and middle school, I was pretty far behind. I think that I probably had ADD that wasn't ever diagnosed and I really just was bad at a lot of things in school. But what I started noticing is that I love the science concepts. And so I decided that when I went to college, I really wanted to do something that I found engaging, but I didn't know what. And I remember meeting with a counselor and I was just like, no, I have no idea what to do because I grew up in a household where my parents didn't go to college. I didn't really know any engineers. I didn't know anybody in STEM. I was really starting from scratch when it came to that. And fortunately, that college counselor just asked me, what am I interested in? And after asking me all these questions, she put me on the science track. And I took my first chemistry course. And I remember I didn't want to go into chemistry necessarily, but I was really excited about learning everything in that course. So that's what got me into it. And I'm just grateful that there were people along the way because I didn't really have anybody in my personal life who had done anything like that. So I had to, I had to rely on the system. I had to rely on sure. the school and the counselors they provided. What did your parents do? And what was their take on you, you know, going towards a STEM career? Yeah. So my dad, he worked in maintenance, uh, just kind of uh, at the local power plant here. 
And then I guess I learned later that he did do some college. I didn't know that at the time, though, oh. but he, he didn't get very far through it. And then um, my mother didn't work for most of my upbringing. It wasn't until later where she started um, doing. She ended up becoming a paralegal and has gotten some education right. herself. And that's I'm really proud of what she's done because um, she's really the one who's inspired me to do everything. She's always been very supportive. And if it weren't for her, I don't think I would have even considered college just because even though she didn't know how to help me like fill out my applications, I just knew that she believed in me. So that was kind of what made me feel like I could be the first to go to school. The foundation of your familia, you know, being a place to step off from is important, regardless of even what you know about them, I guess, to an extent, you know, mm -hmm. not knowing that your dad had some college experience as well. And so I think I always like, you know, finding sort of that foundation, some of those foundational points, especially when we talk about the journey towards being involved in ship, because the ship familia is the same thing, right? It's a foundational stepping point for you to really launch off of in so many ways. So how, when did you first discover SHIP? So I discovered it when I was probably my second year of engineering school. And I learned about it through a friend of mine named Luis. And he really wanted to start a chapter. And I felt so overwhelmed with school. I was like, I don't know if I want to start it, but if you want to, I'll support you. And I ended up just getting more and more involved. And I think once we set up all like the bylaws and everything, I got voted in as VP and uh, it was a lot of fun just doing all of that with him and, and getting that going. What's that ride like I, going from, I don't really want to start it, but I'll help out. And then next thing you know, you're VP. How did, where, where's the, I feel like that's A to C. Where, what happened in between? Uh, that's kind of normal for me though. Yeah. I see something, I just get interested in it. I think for me, what's really motivating is having impact. And so... Starting SHIP was a way to, at least our local chapter, it was a way to have impact. It was a way to bring people together. We had a lot of Hispanic kids in our in our classes that, you know, we didn't all necessarily know each other, but it was a chance for us to kind of get to know each other and kind of work together. And for me, when I saw that we could create our own chapter, I thought this could be a way to provide resources that the school doesn't already. Mm -hmm. And I felt like my school didn't do a great job providing us a lot of information about careers. And one thing that I did with, I wanted to make sure that every single meeting we had, that we brought in a speaker that would help the students in some way. I didn't want it to be just a meeting that we got pizza there and so that's why people come. Instead, I wanted it to be something that we could learn from someone that had achieved something that we haven't achieved yet. So, for example, um, some of the people that came to speak were our professors, but we had them talk to us about their time working in industry. Or um, we would find local engineers that one of them, he had designed satellites that um, wow. are currently orbiting the globe now. And I really liked that because I wanted to learn more about these things and I wanted to see what engineers actually do since I didn't, I didn't know. Remember, I, I went into school not knowing even right. really what an engineer fully does. And so... To me, that was a great ex excuse for me to call these people up and say, will you come speak to us? And I was surprised so many people did and they created great presentations and brought in the things that they were working on. And I think for me, that added a lot of value. And we had people show up that, you know, some of them weren't even engineers. Some of them were interested in joining CHEP. They just wanted to be there for the content we are providing. And I figured if we're doing that, then we're going to find ways to help the other people in CHEP. 
And what was your degree when you were part of starting this chapter? Yeah, so I um, was a mechanical engineer for my undergraduate and then in my graduate work, I also did mechanical engineering, but I focused more on the biomechanics side of things. Okay, and what drew you to mechanical engineering and then ultimately bio? Yeah, uh, for me, I am someone who likes I'm a generalist, I've realized. I'm not someone who loves to specialize and become like the world's expert at one small thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why mechanical engineering was so good for me because you get to learn about all of the physical yeah. engineering and all the physics, but you don't go super in depth, at least in your undergrad. And to me, that was, that was fun. I, I remember liking being able to learn about circuits in one class, learning about heat and mass transfer in the next class. And I thought that was, like a good fit for me. Yeah. yeah. And so how did SHIP make an impact on you once you guys got the chapter up and running and you accidentally became VP? And obviously you, you jumped in head first, which sounds like is not abnormal for yourself, but you jump in head first and do it out of making an impact. You mentioned that that's really important to you, making an impact to others. But I know that through the course of all of that, that it made an impact on you. Tell me a little bit about how SHIP influenced you during that time? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I didn't stay VP for very long. I became the president by default. Yeah, there we go. So, I was going to ask how long it took. Yeah. <laughs> what ended up happening is uh, the person who was the president, he had started, uh, he had all these great initiatives and he had started on them and then he immediately got a job and sure. was gone within a matter of weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so... I became the president by default, and I don't think I would have sought out the, that president position if it were just my own initiative, just because I felt like I, I really needed to focus on school, and I was putting my way through school by working at the same time. And so it kind of forced me into this leadership role, and what it did for me is it helped me be really efficient. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pull away everything that's not important. We're going to pull away the ship get-togethers that aren't going to really be impactful to the membership. And when we did meet, I didn't have a lot of time. I had to get I had my schoolwork to do. I had to get back to work. I commuted all the way to Salt Lake from Logan, which is about a one and a half hour, two hour drive, depending on traffic. So I had so much going on that when we got together, we were just efficient. And we didn't, we didn't use these long meetings to plan things. Instead, we would assign people, okay, you need to plan this out. You need to figure this out. And when we get together, it's to make final decisions and we can move forward. And I, I remember in one of the meetings, a friend of mine looked at me and he goes, Miguel, I think you're going to be a leader of something big someday because mm -hmm. you're being so efficient right now. And I, that was a huge compliment, obviously. Yeah. I still haven't forgotten it. And I think that that set me up well for other leadership opportunities in the future. Definitely. And I'm curious, what advice would you have for, for some of the members who might be listening and are considering leadership positions, whether it be in their chapter or various levels within SHIP here? And as someone who wasn't seeking that out really from the get-go, maybe even slightly resistant, but ultimately <laughs> caved and had this kind of thrust upon you and you, you just took up the mantle and ran with it. For those people who are considering that and maybe are concerned about you know, things that you were concerned about, time commitment and responsibility of leading a chapter or whatever it is. And so what advice do you have for 
some of the, some of these members who are considering leadership to be a part of making an impact with ship? Yeah, I think that looking for those leadership opportunities are going to help you later on. It's interesting that the beginning of your career, you're going to find that having hard skills are most important. But as your career goes on, it's those soft skills that typically need to be built out more. So for example, if you're going to lead a team of engineers, you need to be really good at people managing. Whereas if you're just one of the people on the, that team that are, you're going to solve probably a more technical problem. So I think that building up those leadership skills and those soft skills as early as possible is only going to help you. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a great opportunity to do it because it's engaging and it comes with the familiar, right? It's all baked mm -hmm. right in. And so that's fantastic. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. I, I want to then get a little bit farther down uh, your journey here. Tell me a little bit about how your career started then after, after going to school. Yeah. So when I was going to school, I really, I figured out that I wanted to design medical devices. And the reason why I did that is I had seen that I kind of wanted to become a doctor. I, there was something that I really wanted to like help people, especially with health. And so I thought, oh, if I did engineering and I did focus on medical devices, I could kind of do the best of both worlds. I can mm. still be an engineer, but at the same time, help people make an impact. And so I started at a company called CR Bard. They've since been bought out, um, but they were one of the largest medical device producers. And I found it fascinating. But after a little while, I started getting frustrated because I realized that in order to get anything passed by the FDA, it takes a long time. And if I came up with a better idea, it would be months or years before we, a patient could see any of the benefits of that. And that's kind of what made me feel like I needed to start my own business. Mm -hmm. To get into that is I was, I was doing my master's degree and I took an entrepreneurship course and I felt like I didn't learn a ton of good content in the course, but what really impacted me is every week we had an entrepreneur visit us and they would tell us about their company. And that made all the difference. Because when I started to listen to these people, I realized that a lot of them were like history majors or some of them were right. engineers, but they didn't really have a specific background. And it made me realize, well, if they could do it, then I don't see why I couldn't do it. And so I decided to start my own company. And uh, my first one failed, which was a great learning experience. Most, most companies don't make it the first time. And that gave me all the education I needed for my next company that's been very successful. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, it's a common theme that's come up in some of this for you is you get thrust into the leadership position uh, within your ship chapter and it becomes apparent to those around you and then to yourself that you're very efficient and working with the FDA, I imagine, is not very efficient all the time. So I can see how that struggle starts to begin and just kind of the angst of being stuck in that mindset. And the freedom that does come with the idea of entrepreneurship. I can speak from personal experience being an entrepreneur myself. There's so much fear involved with entrepreneurship. Tell me a little bit about some of those struggles early on, especially, you know, going through your first business being a, a failure. Yeah. You know, being an entrepreneur, if that's something that you want to pursue, one thing that you're going to see is you have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. 
and sometimes at the same time. Yeah. It's a really, it's a very difficult thing. And it's it's not for everyone. And if you are interested in entrepreneurship and you say, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go through that, then you can also be part of like one of the first employees of a small company that's going to get large or there's other ways to get involved without being the CEO. And I think that that's important for people to see because oftentimes people say, oh, I can either start my own company or be part of a large organization. Mm -hmm. There's actually a big spectrum in between. At the beginning, I remember talking to our potential customers and thinking, wow, we have something that's so much better for them. And we get on a call with them and, and they would say, well, to me, it sounds like you're two people in a garage. And I'd look over at my co-founder and I'd say, well, at least we have an office. You <laughs> But they're right. We are only two people. So that was a lot of, of work that I had to make sure that we would always present ourselves in a way that focused on them and their needs and not on us. And that is actually the thing that makes business successful anyway, as you find a way to be really empathetic to your customers and really understand their needs. And when you can fulfill those needs, they're not going to care as much if you're small. And maybe some of the large companies, like it's hard to get Sony eventually became a customer, for example, they weren't going to become a customer when we were very small. Sure. But, you know, we helped so many smaller companies just by focusing on their needs that we were able to get larger and larger and larger customers. Yeah. And so then learning all of this, getting out of the garage into an office, you said your first business failed. My first business failed. The one, the story that I just told you was from my second business. Right. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that business. What, um, was still in medical device? No, it was actually a totally different industry. Okay. So uh, my company is called Limbo and we make a maintenance management software. So if you think about most companies have something physical, whether, you know, we're in a big convention center right now. They have something physical, a big building with AC units, um, but you have also manufacturers that have all these manufacturing equipment. Well, they need to take care of th their equipment. And the, what our software does is it helps keep track of all the schedules. It helps keep track of all the parts that they have on hand. It helps keep track of all the finances. And before our software, this is all done on Excel sheets and sticky sure. notes. It's a total mess. And our software streamlines all of it. Wow. And how long ago was it that you started that? So that company officially started in 2015. Okay. And I hear it's going fairly well, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Um, we have over 200 employees, and this year Goldman Sachs invested us and valued us at 450 million, okay. uh, which those are just big numbers. A lot of people may not know what that means. I, I guess to put that in perspective, companies like Build-A-Bear, Kodak, Purple Mattress, Big Lots, might be some companies that, you're, that people may have heard of and yeah. were valued at a higher valuation than all of them. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. How does it feel then, you know, spending some time here with us, reliving some of your story, touching on some of these points where we go through some of the failures and some of the uncertainty and, you know, even first moments of like being recognized as efficient and a leader and having that all kind of in perspective after reliving that and recognizing that now you have this extremely successful uh, business that you've started, 200 employees, people that are all lives that you're impacting as well, you know, making an impact. And we talked about is such is a really important thing for you. What does it feel like when you have a moment to recognize that the journey's gone really well? 
No, I feel really, really grateful. I think that what I feel so grateful for is it's given me a lot of opportunities myself to grow. And I just feel like I grew up in a situation where money was very tenuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a lot of arguments and between my parents. There never seemed to be enough money. We were always worried about money. And I feel very fortunate because I, I feel like I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. So that's one aspect. But the other aspects are I've just grown so much along the way. I feel like I can solve problems. I feel like I'm not at the mercy of whatever happens to me in life. Instead, I'm someone who can be the one to make the changes that I'm looking for in my life. To give you an example is throughout my whole life, people would say, oh, you better travel now before you get married, because once you get married, you won't be able to travel or travel now before you have kids or whatever it is that people say. Right. And I feel like being an entrepreneur and solving all these problems has allowed me to say, you know what, whatever the problem is that I want to solve, I can come up with a solution for it. Mm. If I do want to travel with having a newborn, I'm, I'm going to find a way to do it. Yeah. If I want to, if I want to create a company, I'm going to find a way to do it. If I want to help somebody or, or do make this impact in the world, I can find a way to do it. Yeah. And that I think to me is way more valuable than like the money aspect or anything else. And uh, also along the way, I've made a lot of great friends who I trust. And that is, that is really what makes businesses work is that people trust each other. And so if you're considering making a business, uh, keep in mind that when you're choosing who you work with, that they have to be people that you can really trust and you feel like they really have your back and you can have their back. And that's what's going to lead to some great outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. So really important to find the people you can trust mm-hmm. and really evaluate those relationships because you're going to end up leaning on them really hard in this process. What would be another piece of advice you would have for any of our ship members who are thinking about entrepreneurship? You also mentioned earlier how it's not all or nothing. It's, it's not start a business or don't start a business. There are ways to kind of subtly get involved. So, so in addition to those ideas that you've already brought up, what's, what's another critical thing that you either learned or wish you had learned earlier in your entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, I wish I had been better at deciding who to work with. The reason why I think it was hard for me is because I'm someone who can be very compassionate. Right. I, I just find a way to like the people that I'm around. And when you choose who to work with, it's kind of like getting married. You have to be a little bit selective. Right. And that means that some people that you might like and that might have some good attributes, you still might have to turn down about working with them. And that that's that was hard for me. And so what I've learned is that it's better to be very selective on who, who you work with and to really think about, are they the type of person that I want to emulate? Uh, do they have this, the core values and the principles that they hold that I want to hold as well? And I wish I would have been better at that in the beginning and been a little bit more discerning and if you're not sure you know you can always give them a try but make yourself at some point ask the question if I could go back in time would I have started working with this person again Mm -hmm. and if the answer is no then you have to realize okay this isn't the right person to work with awesome thank you so much for sharing all of that I want to bring it back around uh, again to to your parents I don't remember if you told me where you're from. 
So I was born and raised here in West Jordan, which is just outside of Salt Lake City. Right. And then um, my dad's side of the family is from Mexico. From Mexico. Okay. And so I don't know a whole lot about Salt Lake City. I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to learn. Well, where are you here. from? I'm from Denver myself. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys got, got food out there. We've got all see. sorts of things these yeah. days. Everyone, I'm trying to keep people out of my city so I can pay my rent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I want to bring it back to your family again. You talked about how your parents hadn't uh, hadn't had higher educations uh, when you were growing up, and you mentioned that your mom now has. She went. She went back to school. Is that what you said? To yeah. So she became a paralegal, which isn't a, a four year degree or anything, but it's definitely. I'm just so proud of her because she found something that she wanted to do and she put in the effort and did it. And I personally think that she's a fantastic paralegal. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. I love that. And the reason I want to bring it back to the, to them is like, we talked about them being your kind of first foundational uh, stepping stone on this career path for you. And what has the impact on them been watching your journey? I can, I can only imagine they're so proud of you and all the things you've accomplished and getting to watch you grow. I sure, I sure hope they're proud. I, I, <laughs> I think they are. You know, one thing that I have really appreciated from, especially watching my mother, is just like working hard and being a good person will pay off. And, you know, one thing that I never wanted to do in my company is hire somebody based on a degree. Instead, it was based on the skill sets they brought and the type of person they are. And it's actually led to me hiring a lot of people that don't have a degree. And if I could have hired my mother, like I know that she would have been an amazing employee, for example. And so it gave me a perspective on having that piece of paper called a diploma. It's, it's a great thing. And I think that I'm really glad that I have one, but I try not to let that be a prerequisite because there's a lot of amazing people out there who don't have that. And maybe they didn't have the same opportunities in the same ways, but it could have led them to have other experiences that have made them really be able to perform well at what matters to them. Yeah. And especially here within SHIP, we do talk a lot about some of the, the struggles that our Hispanic members face going into these STEM fields. And I wanted to ask you, was there, was there any part of your journey that you recognized had extra obstacles or hurdles because you're Hispanic going into entrepreneurship specifically? You know, I think that's a great question. And I, I think that it depends. People have such varied experiences when it comes to this. I feel like I have seen some discrimination, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of people not even care or notice. Now, I particularly have pretty light complexion and a lot of people looking at me in the grocery store may not suspect that I'm Hispanic. Um, but at the same time, when I would walk around uh, my first job, especially people would call me Carlos, Pedro or whatever, right. just because they were they were like ah, some Spanish name and Close they would enough. just fill in. A, yeah. And uh, I definitely saw some things like that. But the bigger the biggest thing that I felt like could get in the way for me was being too concerned that there was prejudice and, mm -hmm. and getting too focused on that. And I think for me, per Personally, I feel like if I'm concerned that somebody doesn't like me, I, it gets to my head and gets into my head. And so I, I have a friend who's from Argentina. He said something that I thought was really impactful to how I go about situations where I might feel discriminated against. And he said, 
he said, you know what? I came to this country. I don't, I didn't speak any English. Like I, I, there, I didn't have any connections. I'm definitely at a deficit in many ways. And when I get a door slammed in my face, you know, an opportunity closes that I really wanted, it'd be really easy for me to say, it's because I don't speak the language. It's because I'm Argentine. It's because of whatever. But he said, all of us have that. Maybe, maybe we think that people are going to see us as ugly or too short. That's to totally me. I'm pretty short or whatever it is. And he said, but if I start thinking it's about something I can't control, then I give up my opportunity to make progress myself. And I, I like that because I feel like most of the prejudice I've seen is because I am not the typical person that people would expect for whatever I'm trying to do. So for example, being a business owner, I'm not the in your face type person. I'm very like, I, I'm very empathetic. And so yeah. sometimes people can see like, oh, this person seems very soft. And, you know, we expect business people to act in a different way. There is so much prejudice out there when it comes to so many different things that I feel like all of us are going to face some of that prejudice. And so what I try to realize is I can be that change I want to see in the world. And I'm just going to focus on solving problems. And I think it's going to work out. And I've definitely had situations where people have kind of been surprised that I've been able to achieve what I've been able to achieve because I'm not what they expected. But it's because I just deal with what's been given me. I know, for example, that I'm I'm pretty sure I have strong ADD and I feel like that's OK. I just say, hey, if that's how I am, I'm going to use that as my superpower instead of letting it work against me. And maybe your superpower is being Hispanic and having a different perspective. Maybe your superpower is not having the same personality or maybe you're a female in a male dominated industry or maybe you're transgender, whatever it is that you feel like makes you uniquely you. Take that and, and make that be part of your strengths. And I think that that's one of the amazing things about this life. It's very empowering, at least for me to think that way. Absolutely. Well, I know speaking for myself as a person with ADD and an entrepreneur, I am already very inspired by your story. And before I let you go, I want, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to that next generation of Spanish STEM entrepreneurs. What do you want to say to inspire them? Yeah, I, I would say that you are going to be able to do something that nobody else can. And that doesn't mean that you're going to come up with an idea that's unique. What that means is that you're going to come up with an idea that helps somebody, that provides some value, and you're going to work hard to make it happen. And that's what matters. If you think of a business, any great business, there's other businesses that are competing to try to do the exact same thing. And having the idea is not the big part. The big part is having that grit and that determination. And I feel like whether you're somebody who feels like you're a smart person or not, anybody can have grit and determination. So I would say go for it. Find ways to learn from every mistake that you make and you'll be successful. Well, Miguel, thank you again for spending the time with us, sharing your story and uh, being a part of inspiring that the next generation here at SHIP. And uh, thank you again for your time. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel, for using your story to offer so many lessons to our members. Your success is not only impressive, it is motivational. I have no doubt that you've just inspired the next generation of Hispanic STEM entrepreneurs. Particularly as an entrepreneur myself, it was truly an honor to speak with you. So, Familia, that's going to wrap up our seventh episode. 
of this 50 stories for 50 years series but as always if you ever have missed an episode we're archiving all of them on our website ship.org 50 stories link is always in the description and don't forget the 2024 regional leadership development conferences are just around the corner also known as rldc's these regional events meet our members where they are at literally we bring national knowledge and expertise to accessible local conferences this year we're going to be in california indiana texas and florida and we'd love to see you at one of them so visit ship.org engage to learn more and register today to learn more about ship go to our website ship.org or any of our social media platforms that are listed below in the description to become a member today use code pod 22 for 10 percent off make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to this podcast so you get your weekly ship stories throughout the year as well as subscribe to that youtube channel where we are posting select interviews that you can watch and not just listen to and as always remember you belong here and at every level of the stem industry cuídate familia